Ephesians chapter 6 is our passage today. Ephesians chapter 6, I'll be talking about the roles of employer and employee. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning with verse 5. Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. This is the word of the Lord. I was looking this week at a recent survey from the Huffington Post, and it described the top 10 reasons why people dislike their jobs. Reason number one is they have a terrible boss. Number two, the passion is gone. Three, they are not being challenged. Four, there is too much red tape. The fifth reason why people dislike their job is because they are unhappy with their pay. The sixth reason is, is there's no room for advancement. Number seven is job insecurity. Number eight, they don't feel valued. The ninth reason is their values don't align with their company's values. And the tenth reason why people dislike their jobs is because they think the grass is greener someplace else. What I found interesting from this survey is the number one reason terrible boss so out of a show of hands who here fits in one of those categories throughout whether today or in your past you can resonate with some of these reasons let me ask you this question who here has been or is a supervisor or a manager who here is an employee that reports to a manager Many of us in this room. Well, the good news is, is that Paul, he gives us specific instructions regarding the employer and employee relationship. But before we look at those relationships, we have to address the question of slavery. The reason I say that is, in the very beginning, Paul mentions this word bondservant. The NIV translation renders that of slaves. For us to understand what slavery was in this context many years ago, we have to understand that it was very different than how we view slavery in our American history. Slavery in Paul's day, it was focused on those who are of a specific socioeconomic political class. Many bond servants or slaves in the days of Paul, they had skills. They were considered contracted employees or contractors that we have today. They might even be considered that of employees. 40% of the Roman Empire represented that of slaves or bondservants. Many of these slaves were considered in the same household as their masters. They even, some of them, took the name of their master. They were given great rights. Uh, They were given great responsibilities. 
And many of these bond servants or slaves, they were artisans, they were artists, they were musicians, they were doctors, nurses, even nannies and chefs and cooks. And so again, a lot of the bond servants in this day had a specific skill set and were hired for that. There were different reasons why people became slaves. One is if they lost the war to a specific nation and they were sold into slavery. Another reason was is if you were born uh, as a child into a, uh, a slave home. And then another reason is, is that someone may have owed money to a certain lender or to a manager and they became that manager's slave until the debt was paid. Again, 40% of the Roman population were, fell in this class. And Caesar Augustus, by the time he reigned, by the age of 30, about 50% of slaves were set free by the age of 30. So a lot of slaves had the ability to buy their freedom. Many slave owners ended up granting their freedom. So it's a lot different than what we think about in our American history. Because our American history, we think of slavery when, it, when it's regarding that of race or culture. This was unique in its own way. But despite good relationships between masters and slaves, there were also very bad relationships between masters and slaves. Where a master would easily abuse his authority and demean his slave and, and, and was harsh to his slave. And that's really what Paul is getting at here in this context. So as we look at this context, now that we've addressed what slavery was in Paul's day, we're going to look at it in our day today as employer and employee in those relationships. So Paul has a lot to say to us, those of us who are in the workplace. The first group of people he talks to is that of employees, and he tells employees to view their job in three ways and to approach their supervisor in three ways. The first way is to approach them respectfully. The second way is to approach them sincerely. And the third way is to approach their work and their supervisor wholeheartedly. In verse 5, Paul says, bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. Now, what Paul was getting at here is that employees are to respect their employers. They are to respect their manager and their supervisor. And notice what he said. Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. What he doesn't mean is, is that we should be scared of our bosses. That when our manager walks by our desk, we shouldn't be afraid of what he or she might do to us. What Paul was getting at was we are to respect that person of authority. Because God has placed them in a position of authority over us. This is very difficult for us who have hard bosses to deal with. Who have bosses that might mistreat us. Bosses that might abuse us. Bosses that take advantage of us. And Paul gets to that point by saying, even if you have a terrible boss, you are called to take the higher road by showing them Respect, because God has placed them in a position of authority over you. I know this is easier said than done for some of you. Because some of you may be saying, I'm tired of my boss giving me menial tasks. Or you might be saying, I'm tired of my boss demanding so much from me. Or you might be saying, 
I could do a lot better than my boss. <laughs> if you're thinking that, I would encourage you to keep your thoughts to yourself. Don't share it with other employees, and by all means, don't share it with your boss. And even if you think you can do a better job than your boss, I would encourage you to humbly submit to his or her leadership and to know that God has you in this time and in this position for this season. And you might do a better job than your boss, but at the end of the day, I for one have experienced, and I know many of you have in a supervisory role, when you get into that role, it's difficult. It can be difficult. And so before you're quick to judge your boss, know that he or she probably is under a lot of stress. So the first way that we are to react to our managers and react to our jobs is respectfully. The second thing Paul tells us to do is we are to work sincerely. Verse 5 again, bond servants obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ. Do you know what the word sincerely means? It means singleness of heart. It's the idea that we ought to work with an undivided mind, with no ulterior motive or hypocrisy. Sincerity means that you work honestly and you are trustworthy. The word sincere comes from the Latin and is broken up in two words. Sine, which means without. Sarah, which means wax. Without wax. There's a reason I'm telling you this. In Paul's day in ancient history, potters, as they would put together pottery... Sometimes the finished product will have, would have had cracks in it. And what a potter would oftentimes do to cover up the cracks is he would get white wax and he would try to cover it up, that crack, and then he would sell it. And the only way you would be able to determine if it was cracked or not, if you bought the, the, pot, the pottery, was if you were to shine the, the light on it, you would have been able to see a light-colored wax. That stood out from the rest of the pottery. Well, good potters would make sure before they would sell their pottery, they would make sure it was crackless. And believe it or not, in this time in history, a good employee, what he would do was he would put a stamp with the words Sine Sarah on it as proof of its good quality. I say that because as employees, we are to work with excellence. Our quality of work should be outstanding. It should be good. And we shouldn't cover up the cracks. And so many employees, we cover up our mistakes. We try to hide it. We do things we shouldn't do. And we cover it up. The point Paul is making here is a good employee is reliable, is trustworthy, is honest. And he would not cover up his cracks. But if he or she makes a mistake, he quickly reports it to his supervisor and says, I'm sorry I made this mistake. And they don't try to cover it up. That's working with sincerity. Now notice, Paul went on to say, you work for your 
manager as you would Christ. So just as we serve the Lord, we are to serve our manager and supervisor. And then he said in verse 6, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers. What is he talking about here as eye service? Eye service, it means that an employee would have a view to impress others. He would put on appearance and do things just for show. So let me give you an example. You might be at work, at your computer, and you might be playing solitaire. And all of a sudden, who walks by but your boss? Oh, you change it out, and you're working on what you're supposed to work on. Hey, how you doing, boss? You might be scrolling on your phone, and all of a sudden, who walks by but your supervisor? Oh, hey, hey, boss, how are you? I was just checking out a call here from customer. That's what it means to I please, people please, is that we cover things up and we try to make our boss happy, and when we're doing something we shouldn't be doing, we cover it up. You may have heard the old adage, when the cat's away, the mice will play. When the boss is away, do you take advantage of the time? Do you check out a work early? Do you spend a lot of time on your phones instead of working? Andrew Carnegie, he once wrote that the average person puts only 25% of his energy and ability into his work. The average person puts 25% into his ability at work. So if you are an employee, let me ask you some tough questions. Do you spend a lot of time surfing the internet on company time when the boss isn't around or is on vacation? Do you leave early without permission? Do you work a full day or not? Do you fudge on your expenses? Do you borrow company supplies? Do you take a sick day when you want a day off or when you're out of vacation days? Do you spend a lot of time on your phone talking to family and to friends instead of talking to them on your breaks? Here's an interesting one if you have an assistant. When someone calls you and you're there and you have the opportunity to talk to that person and you don't want to, do you tell your assistant, tell them I'm not here? If that's you, I would encourage you to think about what Paul is saying here and to work sincerely with sincerity. The third thing that Paul tells us as employees to do is he tells us to work wholeheartedly. Verse 6 as bondservants of Christ, we do the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. I really like the NIV translation here because it uses the word wholehearted. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. First point that Paul is making here as we serve wholeheartedly is we need to remember who we're serving. The first person and the primary person that we serve each and every day when we wake up in the morning and when we go about our activities is we serve the Lord. We are called to bring him glory, him honor. We are to live for him and we are to serve and to work for him. 
and not for man. What Paul is saying here, though, is if your boss is doing right, and he's not doing anything unethical, you are to serve him or her as you would serve the Lord. The reality here is that we are servants of Jesus first before all else. And to work wholeheartedly means you wake up in the morning, you go into work, and you give it your very best. You give it your all. And who ultimately are you to please as you work? But the Lord. Not your boss, not your coworker, not your customer. You are to please the Lord Jesus Christ. And know that as you go to work, it's not just simply getting a paycheck. It's not just simply aiming for that promotion, although those things are good. It's not simply trying to get more vacation time. But the biggest thing we need to think about is not only serving the Lord, but this idea of eternal rewards, storing up treasures in heaven. Treasures in heaven. So if you're in a tough situation right now at work, Remember who ultimately you're serving. It's Jesus. And remember that he's really keeping tabs of, what, of how we're working. Are we being faithful? And we know that there will be rewards in heaven. Matthew 6 tells us to store up treasures in heaven. This is one way we do that. I like how Paul said it in Colossians chapter 3. Very similarly, in 22, he said, Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. And look at this, verse 23. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So when you wake up in the morning, one of the first things we need to think about is, Lord What will you have for me today? How can I best serve you in the job you've given me today? What I'm learning as I've been in ministry now for a while is to take a day at a time. Tomorrow more than likely will come. We may not have tomorrow, but it will come. And it's important to plan, sure. At the end of the day, though, we need to be thankful for what we have today and we need to focus on the task at hand for today. And when tomorrow comes, we focus on that task when it comes. We spend a lot of our time worrying about what's to come. And we spend a lot of our time feeling guilty about what we did. Well, God has given us today. And we are to serve Him wholeheartedly with all that we have. And as we serve Him wholeheartedly, we got to be reminded that our labor is not in vain. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Our labor is not in vain. What we do in this life will echo into eternity. So, if you're an employee in this room today, I want to encourage you from the words of Ephesians. Work respectfully, Work sincerely and work wholeheartedly for the Lord. Give Him your all each day. Now for those of us who are employers in the room, Paul had a few words to say to us. Verse 9, Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening. 
knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. You know what Paul mentioned here first? He said, do, to, do the same to them, meaning bosses in the room operate by the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. If you want them to respect you, you need to show them respect. If you want them to be sincere and to be honest and trustworthy and loyal, you've got to be sincere. You've got to be honest. You've got to be trustworthy and loyal to them. If you want them to give their all every day, you have to lead the way by giving your all every day. That's what Paul meant when he said, Masters, do the same to them. And then notice what he said, stop threatening. Those are pretty strong words. When you're in a position of authority, you can easily abuse your authority by throwing your people under the bus, by being super critical of them, by being harsh to them, by being negative to them, by not appreciating them, by discouraging them. And if you continue to press and press and press, showing little to no appreciation, they will get discouraged. This reminds me of perhaps the worst illustration in the Bible of what not to do as a manager. And it comes in Exodus with Pharaoh. You remember the story when God told Moses and Aaron to go to Pharaoh and to tell Pharaoh, let my people go because they were enslaved by this ruthless tyrant, Pharaoh. Well, when they came to Pharaoh, they said, free God's people from slavery. Let them be free and have freedom and go to their land. And in Exodus chapter 5, we see this in verse 4. The king Pharaoh of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to your work. Then Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are now numerous and you are stopping them from working. Verse 6. That same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and overseers in charge of the people. You are now no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That is why they're crying out, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Make them work harder. For the pe- make the work harder for the people so that they keep working and pay no attention to lies. See how Pharaoh was threatening God's people? First, he called them liars. Then he said they were lazy. And then <laughs> he demanded more from them. He, d- he downsized. And whenever you downsize, <laughs> somebody has to do the work, the extra work. And oftentimes, when a company downsizes, it falls right to the faithful employees and more work is placed on their shoulders and it overloads them. What happened when Pharaoh increased the work to God's people? They, were, they became discouraged. Exodus 6, 9, Moses spoke to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. As a boss, as a manager, you have a lot of influence over your people. Treat them honorably, with respect, show appreciation, 
don't put on more than they can handle. So if you're a manager in the room and you supervise people, here's some things I want you to consider. Are you providing decent wages for your staff? Are you providing normal working hours, clear expectations, and honest feedback to them? Meaning, do you correct them gently and assertively, and do you do it on the go? Do you assess them when they make mistakes right then and there? Or do you wait and compile a list of 10 things for that one meeting a year, the annual review? And you say, this is what I remember you did back in February, and this is what you did back in March, and I can't believe you did this back in July. That's not helpful. But instead, are you assessing them on the go? And are you being honest and candid with them? And at the same time, are you building them up? Are you creating an environment where your employees can flourish? Are you giving your employees opportunities to grow? Here's a hard one, especially if you have a lot of people under you. Are you concerned for their marriages? Even for their children? Do you concern yourself for their future retirement do they have good insurance do you not show partiality to other employees but do you treat each employee equally those are hard questions but that's what Paul's getting at here as employees and employers you know uh, Omar Bradley you may have heard that name before He's known as one of the greatest generals of all time. And there's a couple things that made him great. He was a great military commander of World War II. He was a gifted strategist. He was able to foresee what the enemy had coming to them. And he was able to make, de make uh, strategies and battle plans to defeat the enemy. He was superb at operational arts and was effective to execute orders and bring forces to bear in an efficient manner. But this is not really what made him great. He eventually earned the role of commander of the 1st U.S. Army during Operation Overlord, the D-Day invasion of Normandy. And he was second in line only to General Eisenhower. And he wound up uh, supervising more troops than any other general in American history. But that's not what made him great either. Before being called to combat, Omar Bradley was placed in charge of training the U.S. Army's 82nd and 28th Infantry Division. This was large bodies of troops who would be placed under his supervision. Well, Bradley, he approached his command with the determination to care for his troops and give him the best care that they could possibly get. So as the troops arrived for their training, he had the military band playing just to boost their morale. When they marched to their barracks they were greeted by new uniforms they received the best equipment available and they all had a hot meal and this was a big deal during the war he implemented a physical training program which better prepared the citizen soldiers of world war ii for life in the field the thing that made omar bradley great is that his soldiers his troops knew that he cared for them they knew he would risk his life 
for them. They knew that whatever he expected of them, he was willing to do himself. Other commanders like General George Patton achieved battlefield fame, but only Omar Bradley left a legacy as the soldier's general. He lived by the maxim that great leaders take care of their people, and he was a great leader. Not only did he accomplish mission after mission, but he also did what was best for his people time and time and time again. If you're a manager, supervisor, boss in this room, do you care for your people? Or are you just caring for yourself? The Bible tells us to serve those under our authority. And as we conclude this section, you notice it kind of fell amongst the other roles that we've talked about. A wife is to submit to her husband's spiritual authority in the home. A child is to submit to his mom and dad and their authority. An employee is to submit humbly to their employer, to pray for their employer, and to serve them respectfully, sincerely, and wholeheartedly. So I end with this question, how are you doing at work? Are you struggling? And if you're struggling, I encourage you to remember these words. I encourage you, if you're a supervisor, remember these words. Take care of your people. Love them well. Help them succeed. Be their biggest cheerleader.